A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me, as always, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and the wonderful former Chelsea and West Ham man, Scott Minto, now moonlighting as a next menswear model. This is what's coming up. Mason Mount looks completely like a fish out of water at Manchester United at this moment in time. Hoyland, for all his endeavour, still hasn't scored a Premier League goal. I've got a vasectomy booked in for later today and I'm looking forward to that a lot more than I'm looking forward to Fulham against Manchester United on Saturday. He's either got to go all strict and like maybe Fergie was in the early days and say, I'm not having any of this. And then he's got to get the Man U board to back him, to get rid of the players, get rid, pay them off. You know, the Ivan Tony situation came up with, with Adrian. It's going to be interesting to see whether Arsenal feel desperate enough to go to the 80 million um, that that, uh, that Brentford would want. That, that I think that's absolutely fascinating because if they had Ivan Tony in the side, well, I tell you what, they'd be really close to City for the Premier League. If you're asking me right now, um, because I think Arteta's created some of his own issues with the Havertz situation, with the Raya situation, maybe we're trying to change the playing style. Having tipped Arsenal to be City's closest challengers at the start of the season, I'm now starting to lean towards Liverpool might actually be the biggest threat. Sexy Scott, good morning to you. Good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Hello. Well, it's a shame we're not in vision, uh, Sam, because you're looking very sexy with your black roll neck. You're looking very um, James Bondy. Oh, that's very kind of you. I'm, I've, I've had a shave down because it's November uh, now, isn't it? So I'm, cr- I'm growing my moustache for uh, to try and raise awareness for people who uh, might not realise they've had testicular cancer. I had testicular cancer back in 2009. And I had an early diagnosis, so I think it's important to raise mm. awareness of such issues. But it's not just about testicular cancer, it's about prostate cancer and mental health, uh, because uh, more men than ever are suffering uh, from those horrible uh, afflictions. So uh, check it out. I'm on, the, on my Instagram. There's, uh, there's quite a lot about it. So go on there and find out. It's at Sam Matterface. Um, I was at Old Trafford last night. It's been a long decade in the aftermath of Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement. But in that period, I suppose there's been quite a few defining moments, usually due to an abject, abysmal performance. And this was one of them. Um, we'll, we'll talk about what happens next in just a moment. But Scott, I need to tell you about a bet. Are you interested in this? Um, basically, um, uh, in the aftermath of the Manchester derby, Crook and I went out um, in Manchester and we were out quite late. We had a bet during the course of the evening uh, that yeah, he thought Manchester United would finish above Chelsea. And I said, Do you know what? I actually think that Chelsea will finish above Manchester United. He said, mm. no way. 
Um, and which we then decided that the, uh, the the loser would have to do the final podcast of the season in the other's shirt. Um, obviously, uh, I couldn't just hand him my shirt. I'd have to get him a new shirt um, with crooky number one on the back or something like that um, when Chelsea eventually do finish above uh, Manchester United. Crooky, are you still happy with the terms of the bet? <laughs> well, because you beat Blackburn in, in the League Cup and Mr. Hope's the chances, suddenly you're coming from a position of power. Listen, no? the, the truth is that Chelsea and Manchester United are both pretty abject at this moment in time, so it's not a battle of who finishes higher. It's a battle of who's slightly less crap, to be honest. That's what the bet is, isn't it? <laughs> pretty much. Uh, I'll go, I'll go for Brighton, Wolves, Palace, Fulham, Everton and, and all the above to finish above them. <laughs> Uh, right, okay, uh, enough about our misery. On to the weekend's action, and we'll start with everyone's favourite basket case. Manchester United, they take a trip down to the capital to play Fulham. It's Premier League football just the way we like it on Talk Sport. There is no doubt about it. The colour in this city is blue full-time. It's Manchester United nil, Manchester City three. They've got to forget everything. They've got to close the book and reopen a new one. And Haaland puts it in for two. He's done it again. Billy spots the keeper off his line. What a goal! Billy, Billy! Referee blows the full-time whistle. Listen to that sound. That's the sound of Bournemouth getting their first win of this season. Son tucks it in from four yards out after a beautiful move. History points to a season of success. Can Tottenham follow in those footsteps? Well, there's nothing in the rules to say they can't. Still going Sterling. It's a brilliant goal for Chelsea. There are difficult games coming up. Everyone's got to step up. And this is the programme that brings you closer to the football each day. It's Talk Sports Game Day. Oh, look, United looked like a broken football club. Uh, the midweek game was a performance of scandalous surrender. Um, actually getting difficult to analyse Manchester United at this moment in time. Crook and I were on the phone late last night discussing it. And the question we were sort of asking each other was, when was the last time they actually played well? And when did they put in a decent performance? It might actually be easy to try and find out what is going right for them at this moment in time and see if there's a little glimmer of hope somewhere. Because everywhere you look, it appears to be chaos, Crook. Yeah, it's difficult to find a glimmer of hope and it's difficult to find a, a decent performance because even the games they've won this season, they've been abject. We were all there at, at Wolves on the opening weekend of, of the campaign. A better team, a more confident team in front of goal would have comfortably won that game. I was there with the kids against Copenhagen and they were outplayed for 45 minutes by a team who, let's be honest, got no chance of getting out of the Champions League group. They go to Copenhagen live on TalkSport in midweek, I fully expect them to lose that game and therefore they're going to be out the Champions League before the competition has really hit its stride. The top four looks miles off. And actually, if you go back to last season in the second half of the campaign, probably post the Carabao Cup final, they did their best to throw away their Champions League place and they weren't playing well then either. They laboured to a penalty shootout win against a Brighton team in the FA Cup semi-final. We should have beaten them at Wembley. Didn't really turn up for the Cup final against City. So the rot set in a long time ago. Obviously, they spent money in the summer. At the moment, it looks like they spent it badly. Ananas have more bad games than good. Mason Mount looks completely like a fish out of water at Manchester United at this moment in time. Hoyland, for all his endeavour, still hasn't scored a Premier League goal. I've got a vasectomy booked in for later today, and I'm looking forward to that a lot more than I'm looking forward to Fulham against Manchester United on Saturday. <laughs> OK. Uh, no urgency. Uh no organisation, no leadership, not crooks vasectomy. Uh, no desire, although it might all fit 
the bill. Um, was the performance on Wednesday night worse than the Derby defeat? Yeah, Alan Brazil was on breakfast with me on uh, Thursday. I was, I was on with him, sorry. Uh, and he said to me that he'd heard uh, that uh, Ten Hag had lost the dressing room. It, what, that phrase, he's lost the dressing room, what does that really mean, Scott? From a player inside a dressing room, what, what does that look and feel like? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm still reeling from the vasectomy shout, to be honest with you. But um, uh, apparently, um, he's had it done quite cheaply. It was a snip. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, to me, that smells of a disgruntled player or even agent has mentioned someone to something and is now starting to want to spread some bad news that he's lost the dressing room. Um, I hate the phrase lost the dressing room. I'd never really played for any manager that I played under. I liked some, I disliked others, um, but I never played for them. You know, I played for myself and and the club and, and the fans that pay the wages first and foremost, whether I was in good form or not. And But look, I, I do feel sorry for Ten Hag. He, he's had the problems. He's tried to, people are saying, oh, you have to be strict. And then people are saying, well, you, he's being too strict. You know, with Sancho. Obviously, there's Anthony with the issues off the field. Marcus Rashford, how do you get the best out of him? Because, you know, I said last season, he's a guy that scores in in streaks. And if he's not scoring, does he add to it? And everyone's been talking about, you know, it's out there that without the ball, they're too easy to play against. Anthony Martial, the, the likes of him, how long has he been at United? You know, these players have seen off how many managers? Are we just going to go again and say, right, let's get rid of Ten Hag and... You know, let's try and get someone else in. When you've mentioned on several occasions, Sam, you know, what is it? Two thirds of the players that have come in that have really either played under him or played at the Eredivisie. Look, he's got a lot to blame because I don't see an identity there. I really don't where you do with others. Um, And we can blame the Glazers all you like. And you're right. It it can sift down into the people say, oh, you shouldn't. You know, that's nothing to do with what goes on in the pitch. But it's um, it's a long term thing that that seeps into the the infrastructure of the club, both on and off the pitch. But the bottom line is the players are not good enough or not strong enough mentally. Now, that you could say is is their fault. and, And it is. But if you could pin me down to one thing. Money has been spent, but the recruitment has been shocking. These players are not good enough, not strong enough to play for Manchester United. Now, Ten Hag has a dilemma. He is on the precipice of getting the sack, whether whether he likes it or not, and whether United board want to sack him or not. He's now got to go out fighting in the way that he wants to. Now, there's a balance to that. Does he actually say, right, I'm going to play, I'm going to drop a load of the senior pros? All very well doing that, but in the long term, do you lose them? And in the long term, you're going to struggle to get them back? It's very, very difficult thing to do. I won't name the manager, but I've had it in the past where, you know, I was one of two or three players getting dropped. And I went in to see the manager and I said, look, you know, results aren't going well, but there's there's a few of us the same. You're 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 dropping all the time. He said, I can't afford to drop the others. I've got people that I can replace you and I haven't got others who can replace them. But my argument was they know they're playing week in, week out. So subconsciously they need to kick up the backside. What happened? We went down in the end. Um, so there's there's a lot of problems and it's not just one thing and just changing the manager is not going to change it. But Ten Hag, you know, he's got a lot to blame himself in terms of the players that's been brought in. And as I say, the lack of identity. Yeah, I mean, and there's discipline and then there's the wrong type of discipline, isn't, isn't there? I mean, there's demanding that players adhere to your rules and then there's demanding that players actually 
perform the way you need them to perform. And, and, and the two things seem to be out of sync. He, he may well be disciplined about you know putting cups away at the, the training ground at Carrington and having to apologise if you've stepped out of turn on social media. But um, tracking back seems to be optional. Um, there was no urgency, no organisation, no leadership and no desire in that game at uh, the weekend. And the best Manchester United ever looked really is as a counter-attacking team. And you wonder whether or not actually it's better off at this moment in time if he just sets them up in in that vein. Um, United have conceded 26 goals in 15 games. And this is where the discipline, I suppose, sort of comes in, isn't it? 26 goals. That tells you a team that isn't structured properly. So therefore, he has to carry the can. And you've been a big supporter of him, Alex. But it, it doesn't seem to me that they're... I mean, it looks like a stretch now to suggest that he can lead them out of the wilderness. So what is the next step? I don't have a clue. I don't think Manchester United have a clue. I don't think Eric Ten Hag has a clue. He looked like a lost manager on the touchline. But we've we've seen this movie before, haven't we? It happens every 18 months, every two years since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. A new manager comes in. Often they win a trophy. Van Gaal won a trophy. Mourinho won trophies. Ten Hag has won a trophy and then it very quickly unravels. So I, I don't see that just changing the manager has any long-term impact. It might have a short-term uplift. It might even go on for 12, 18 months as it has under those previous managers that I've mentioned. But long-term, as long as you've got players who A, aren't good enough, in the case of people like Lindelof, Dallow, Maguire, probably McTominay as well, certainly Martial, and B, don't have that desire and you can level that at just about every Manchester United player, maybe at the weekend with the exception of Hoyland and Anana, then nothing is going to change. The, the dressing room needs a complete cleanse. It needs a complete reset. Maybe it needs a bit of what Chelsea are doing, actually. Bring down the average age, invest in young players who want to improve, who want to learn. But I do wonder if they do need a manager now with a little bit more personality on the touchline, in press conferences, arguably in the dressing room. You look at Pochettino, for example, and he exudes that personality that at the moment that Ten Hag is, is struggling to find. So there's so many problems. But ultimately, the, the other reality is, if you look at Manchester United's history as a football club, they've had two very successful spells under two genius managers in Samat Busby and Sir Alex Ferguson. But ultimately, the years in between often look like this. So maybe the reality is that actually in the last 10 years, Manchester United have just become a bit rubbish because Sir Alex has retired. Yeah. Modern football doesn't work in the way that it used to, where you could have an all-powerful manager who runs every aspect of the club. It's impossible because they're such big entities now. You can't do it, not with any degree of uh, um, success anyway. Scott, personality came came up there in Crook's sort of mini rant. Talk to me about personality. How important is it that a manager exudes personality on a touchline or exudes personality in a dressing room? Because he's forthright, he's direct. And I think we all quite like that about Eric Ten Hag when he first turned up. But actually, it's become a little bit almost robotic now. He's not got a second dimension, and that's a bit of a worry. I'll be 100% honest with you, Sam. It's not the number one priority for me. You know, the number one priority for me is, is he a good coach and is he a good manager? Man manager. Um, they're, well, they're the two most important things. Whether he's got personality or not no one was complaining about his personality when he was doing re- really well at Ajax but by personality okay by personality what I mean is is has he got the ability to be able to connect with the supporters connect with the, the players connect with 
uh, the staff, connect with the wider club. It, it, it's man management, I suppose, in, in, in sort of embroiled in that. Has he got that? Because it looks yeah, but- like he's alienated certain players, he's upset others, and he cannot get the best out of what he's got left. Sam, I mean, what 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 do you want? What do the Man the Man United fans want? They want a manager to try and be strong. They want a manager who you know they, you don't want players writing things on social media and, and getting it out there. He's he's then got to be strong about that, and then he's lost the dressing room. You know, at the end of last season, Cookie's calling him the little ball genius. He's won a cup. He's got to another final. He's gotten them into the Champions League. No one saw this coming at the start of the season. And look, he probably will lose his job because of it. This is Manchester United. This is the biggest club in the country and one of the very biggest in the world. And they are going backwards, whatever he says. I watched a bit of his post-match interview. I did the Ipswich game uh, a Wednesday night, so I I couldn't hear it all or watch it all. But I I watched some of it and he looked a little bit shell-shocked. He didn't look like he knew what the answers were. And that obviously is a major problem. But at the same time, it was only a few months ago that everyone was hailing him as a genius. So yeah. it's amazing how quickly football turns around and he's trying to do, he's either got to go all or nothing. He's either got to go all strict and like maybe Fergie was in the early days and say, I'm not having any of this. And then he's got to get the Man U board to back him, to get rid of the players, get rid, pay them off. And, and financially, no one wants to do that. But actually, in terms of the medium to long term, that's the right thing to do because you've got to get the culture right. The culture's full of prima donnas and it has been for a good few years who can do what they want who think that they're going to be longer there there than the manager and that's exactly what's happened over the last decade yeah uh, when you say everyone was calling him a genius I I actually think it was just one person completely (laughs) honest about it it was more than one well I think it was just him um talk to me about Fulham then you were at Fulham the other night and Fulham uh um have had a problem scoring goals but they brought on Made a few changes last uh, on Wednesday night. Scored three goals against Ipswich Town. I mean, they've they've got a chance here, haven't they, against Manchester United? They've got a wonderful chance. Um, look, they, I thought they were excellent. And uh, to be fair, I don't think you can judge Ipswich with the team that they picked because Kieran no. McKenna made eleven changes, um, and it wasn't even sort of a similar team to the team that came back from two 0 down against Wolves. But what Fulham were was very professional. They were really good, scored an early goal, looked dangerous from kickoff and were in control in the tempo of the game. Now, this is a different level, whether it's a weak Manchester United side or not. But this is the perfect time to be playing United. You know, I'm telling you now, players need to stand up uh, for United. But the Fulham players, and if Marco Silva has got anything to go with him, and, and, and he, we know he has, he'll be saying, we need to go at these. We need to score that first goal. If they get the first goal... You can see the body language of United players really kind of wilting. And, and that in itself is a really poor sign. So great time for Fulham, um, despite them not you know missing the goals of Mitrovic. But Ten Hag now needs to pick a side that is not all about talent. It's about heart and character. It won't be a draw, that's for sure. Manchester United haven't drawn any of their last 23 matches. So it'll be a win or a defeat. Uh, Shall we move on to Newcastle against Arsenal 5.30 on Saturday night? Eight changes made by Eddie Howe in midweek and I thought it was a shot in the arm for them for the Christmas period, for more congested periods of the calendar because those players that came in were terrific and we all argued that the squad's a little bit light and they've had some bad luck with injuries but also lost Sandro Tonali to a uh, 10-month ban. 
Um, so actually, I wonder whether or not, especially the fullbacks, have given him a little bit of a selection headache. Yeah, Liveramento um, in particular, I thought was excellent. Obviously, Hall took his goal superbly well. And, and and it does maybe give him the option to to freshen out maybe a little bit sooner than he's expected because I think in both cases they were players signed for the long term. But I mean I think Livermento is a terrific player. I saw him at Southampton before his injury, really nasty knee injury that curtailed his progress, and he looked to me like someone who could be England's next right back. So again, tremendous recruitment from Newcastle because anybody could have signed Tino Livermento in the summer. And I'd argue he's better than either of the two right-backs that Manchester United currently have on their first-team rostrum. So, well done, Dan Ashworth. Well done, Eddie Howe, because he's brilliant at managing and coaching young players and knowing exactly when to put them in the team. So, I think it's a lovely dilemma that he's been presented with. Yeah, Dan Ashworth uh, is a proper recruiter of talent, though, isn't he? And Manchester United at this moment in time do not have someone who's established in that role. Um, Scott, as a fullback, what do you make of Hall and Livramento, both former Chelsea boys that have ha- yeah. had to go elsewhere to find their way into the first team? Yeah, well, Hall's, I think, first and foremost, uh, uh, he likes to be in midfield, but I thought he was excellent when he played at left back or left wing back for Chelsea. And I was really disappointed again to see an academy boy allowed to leave the club. Um, in terms of Livramento, exactly the same thing. You know, this is, I, I agree with Crookie. You know, I think it'd be first choice for United right now. You know, pacey, strong, decent defender, loves to get forwards, and and this is this is just what when the, when a manager makes changes um, in what could be potentially be a tricky game that he wants to obviously rest certain players. He can't be playing players in every single game, and then you've also got the ones knocking the door saying, you know, you you got to play me. That was the perfect result for him and performance as well. And now he does have a little bit of a dilemma. Listen, Trippier's going to play. He's 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 one of the first names on the team sheet, but it's exactly what you want. It's a team that's going forward. It's a team that's buzzing. It's a team where you or squad of players that when they come in, they want to impress and they do. You know, if Manchester United are going backwards, then Newcastle are going very much forwards. Although it is a big game for them and they want to try. Don't let Aston Villa get too close ahead. They're the one team in the league where I think they want to try and finish above them. I know, um, you know, Cookie doesn't necessarily want that with the bet he's got Jim White. But don't forget, you know, it could be a fifth spot, a Champions League place for next season. So they very difficult to try and combine what they did last season and then go again and with the Champions League and maybe even win a trophy. But he's doing pretty well, Eddie Howe. Yeah, as for Arsenal, night to forget for them away at West Ham United. Ben White's own goal uh, wasn't particularly impressive. Aaron Ramsdale didn't have the greatest of nights either. Rumours that Jesus could be out for a prolonged period of time due to a return to uh, training, not due to a return to training now till early December. Um, have they got enough up top to be able to uh, negotiate his absence? Is Eddie Hattrick in Ketia good enough to fill the void? Not against the top teams, in my opinion. Not in games like this. I think he'll get his goals as he did with that Hattrick against Sheffield United. But I think in the big games, when the margins are up finer, I think they need a uh, more competent and more established and more proven number nine and and if we're talking about recruitment by the way what are we now we're a quarter of the way into the season another disappointing performance from Kai Havertz that's that's a transfer that I didn't get my head around at the time and I, I can't get my head around now because you know Gabriel Jesus is injured Kai Havertz maybe would be a contender to go in and do that false number nine role but he's just not good enough is he 65 uh, million quid to be 
the evidence that is available to us. But I think he had a bad time the last season at Chelsea and he, he never really, he hasn't really got going at Arsenal. I, I spoke to him a long time ago, actually, and he, he talked to me about the fact that the Premier League was very hard. He found it, the speed of it, incredibly hard. And it's, he felt it took time for him to adjust to it. You know, he was At the time, we were talking about going to Brighton when Graham Potter was there and taking on that team on a Monday night. It was one of the first games of the season that he, he, he encountered. And he said, in Germany, that is a game that you know the top teams go and win and, and that's it. It's all finished quite early. No real, no real problem. But it was a proper battle to get over the line in that game. And, and, and that is the nature of the Premier League. And players that haven't been here and haven't experienced it, haven't grown up in it, when you first make that transition, it's very, very hard to, to assimilate. And I think sometimes some players, Scott, never do. No, look, I mean, I played in Portugal and I found it a lot easier because, you know, the, the, the pace of the game was a lot slower. You know, the Premier League. And then I came back, funnily enough, to West Ham and my body, you know, was struggled and I picked up a few little injuries and just getting used to the, the pace of the game and the pitches. But how, how long does he want, Sam? You know, I, I didn't get it. Uh, I'll be honest with you, the move in the first place, we're all sort of saying that Arsenal needed a fox in the box, an out-and-out goal scorer. I think Eddie Nketiah's game has come on a lot, but I agree with Crookie, you know, in the very big games. And can you rely on him week after week after week in the way that he did with Thierry Henry and Ian Wright? You know, the Ivan Tony situation came up with, with Adrian. It's going to be interesting to see whether Arsenal feel desperate enough to go to the £80 million, um, that that, uh, that Brentford would want. That I think that's absolutely fascinating because if they had Ivan Tony in the side... I tell you what, they'd be really close to City for the Premier League. Interesting, isn't it? Because uh, earlier in the week it was sixty-one million for Ivan Tony, then it was eighty, and then it was a hundred million pounds. It's going up the, the, the game by game, day by day. It, I think maybe they're not. They're looking at uh, Arsenal's predicament and thinking, oh, we can squeeze a little bit more out here if it indeed is Arsenal who end up going to buy him. It does look like he is going to move, though. Uh, that game's 5.30. It should be a fascinating one. Let's look at some of Saturday's other action now, starting with the champions. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Put it in for 
two. He's done it again. I think it's been a, an amazing start. The group of guys that have this season is beyond exceptional, the relation they have. Bowden down the right onto Alvarez, who shoots towards the far corner. It's a brilliant Julian Alvarez goal. This team are going to win the, the Premier League in second gear for me. Bournemouth are playing much better than their position shows. At the moment, they've been struggling to get a win, but they've been in every game. Billy spots the keeper off his line. What a goal! Billy, Billy! For sure, I think there's some bright sparks as well for, for Bournemouth, and I wouldn't be downcast if I was a fan of it. Listen to that sound! That's the sound of Bournemouth getting their first win of this season. Can you imagine like you win your first game and there's like that period of relief and you've been waiting for like three months just to get a win on the board and you sit there and you come in after the game and you, you're Andoni Iriola, you've had your first haircut in England and you look a bit smarter than you did before when you look like a 70s teenager um, and you look in the mirror and you think, well done, Andoni, you've got over the line. Right, OK, what's... Oh, you're joking. Away at Manchester <laughs> City? You're kidding me. How has that happened? Um, look, I, mean, I mean, they're obviously going to come down to, to earth with a bit of a bump crook. Yeah, I mean, this is almost the impossible task, isn't it, to go to Man City and, and pick up any kind of positive result. I think if they could take a 3-0 defeat now, then they probably would because, you know, City, since that uh, last international break, seem to have just found their mojo again. Erling Haaland is back scoring goals, so it's pretty ominous for Bournemouth, as well as they played, actually, um, at the weekend. I mentioned it on the... Uh, post-match podcast really impressed with Semenyo and Scott the two players who've been brought in from the championship sounds like they gave Liverpool a really good game in midweek as well so confidence is slowly building but confidence can quickly be dented by a heavy defeat of the Etihad I mean as I say it's it's going to be a, a Man City win it's a question of how many um what's the Derby win from Manchester City their best performance of the season so far Scott yeah I think so Sam I mean just on Bournemouth um They've got Newcastle after that as well. And then there's the international break. And and not only that, you very rarely say it this way round, but Bournemouth have had a midweek game and Man City have had a rest. So, you know, they've had plenty of time to to prepare for this match. So therefore for City, it you know, it, they have to be careful. It's not after the Lord Mayor's show, but they're experienced enough to have they've been there, seen it, done it. Obviously, they're up uh, against the United you know, I thought they'd come on strong in the second half and boy, did they. Was it their best performance? I think it probably was considering who they're up against. And I don't mean the quality necessarily of Manchester United. I just mean the the, the, the pressure of that fixture and what it brings. Um, so in terms of this, I think it's if they get their head on and they're properly out, you know, up for it in the way that I'm sure Pep, Pep Guardiola will first of all pick the team and then be at them every single day in training. I think absolutely they snap the hand off a 3-0, and that's Bournemouth. Yeah, um, OK. What about Jack Grealish? What do we think about him at this moment in time? We said he was going to get some competition from Jeremy Doku. Um, he was picked to start in the derby and was absolutely superb. Is he responding to that um, pressure, competition that Doku is providing? He was only playing up against uh, Dallow. I could have looked good against Dallas. Uh, but no, listen, he did. He stepped up from a, from a Jack Grealish perspective, from a Man City perspective. Again, it's a nice headache for Pep Guardiola to have two really good players competing for that one position. And again, <laughs> recruitment, good and bad, has been a theme of this podcast. They've recruited well, haven't they? Man City, Nunez, I think, is starting to grow into that role as well. Um, Alvarez has been an absolute snip. There's that word again. 
Um, and again, anybody in the Premier League could have paid what Man City paid for him. So the modern game is all about recruitment and you can level it as City all you want. They're backed effectively by you know, a state, but they've, they've spent money, but they spent it well, haven't they? They rarely buy a dud, you know, with Calvin Phillips, the obvious exception. What about Sheffield United versus Wolves? Um, Paul Heckingbottom, probably on borrowed time. We had him on the podcast in the beginning of uh, the summer, didn't we? He came on and he, he was great with us and he, he was talking about trying to hang on to Iliam and, and Jai and, and, and Sander Berger, both of whom had at that point been linked with moves, but those moves didn't go till, uh, through till very, very late. What, what do you think about how he negotiates this situation? Because no team ever have had um, one point at this stage of the season and survived, Scott. It's a big chance for them to try and get something against Gary O'Neill's team, but Gary O'Neill's team will be looking at it as a, a great opportunity for them to put three points on the board as well. Do you think he deserves more time to turn it around? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that, and this is not going to happen... But I think that whatever happens, he should have the job for the season because what he did, and I'm not normally saying like this, I'm normally like, you know, okay, the pass is the pass. But what he did in terms of getting Sheffield United up in the first place was nothing short of incredible, especially, you know, they're only really fighting for for one place with Burnley being so good. And then what happened in the summer with his best two players going, the owner wants to sell, he wasn't given the amount of funds that he should be given. Players who did come in came in too late. Honestly, he has got two hands tied behind his back. Now, you can turn around and say, yeah, but you can't keep on like this. Oh, honestly, Pep Guardiola would struggle with this. He really would. And I, I love Chrissy Wilder. He's a good friend of mine. Um, and, and that's the shout of him coming in. And, and maybe, maybe he'd be the only person because he gets united. But I think that he deserves... Paul, in the way that Alan Kerbishley had it back in the day, I'll chuck in a bit of Charlton here. They went up with the playoff final and in 98, went down the very next season, went back up again and then stayed up there until he actually left the club. So to ask Sheffield United to stay this season, we've all been saying from the beginning of the season, it's Luton and Sheffield United and really teams are fighting for one place to avoid. So this was always going to happen. I'm not saying they should give up. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, if you get rid of Paul Heckenbottom, bring someone else in, they're still going down. And I think he deserves the right, the, the, he deserves the chance to go back up again next season. You're not the only one who feels like that. The former Sheffield United manager, Neil Warnock, thinks the same. I think Paul Heckenbottom has done a fantastic job. And I don't think anybody could do any better with what he's had. He lost mm. his two best players in yep. the summer. There's all sorts of names being mentioned in the background, and I'm sure they're trying to vie for the job. And I don't think he'll be, do anything better, me. So I, th- I think the I think the Prince will give him a few more games, me, and quite rightly so. I yeah. think he deserves it because he's not spent an awful lot of money. And, and I, I just hope he does it. I'm really supportive. That was Neil Warnock speaking to Talk Sports uh, this week. Um, he himself has been linked with a, a couple of jobs over the last sort of uh, 48 hours. He's clearly not retired just yet, even though he has retired about three times now, Neil Warnock. Um, Paul Heckingbottom still in situ at this moment in time. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers playing very well under Gary O'Neill, in particular Huang. Um, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the season, I'd spoken to a few Wolves fans who don't really take that well to Huang. He's not got top quality, but what he's got is endeavour, work rate, and he always seems to be in the right place at the right time, Crook. Yeah, it's strange because normally fans love that type of player. Do you remember Benjani at Portsmouth? The song that they had for him was Benjani comes from Zimbabwe, 
he's going to score one day because he was absolutely useless, to be honest, in front of goal. But they but loved him. He was him. a centre forward. <laughs> but they loved him because of how hard he worked and, you know, the effort that he put in. So it's strange that, that Wolves fans, bearing in mind the type of club they are, aren't really taking Huang to their heart. He's been terrific this season. Hasn't he? He's been such a key player for them in terms of coming up with the big moments in a team that don't necessarily score a lot of goals. Uh, okay, on to Sunday now, uh, where we kick things off with a clash between two former European champions at the City Ground. Forest against Villa is Sunday afternoon, two o'clock. Villa red hot at the moment. There may be five Champions League places, and I think there'll be a contender for that. Aston Villa with Newcastle and others. I mean, this five places in the Champions League thing does depend on the clubs from that league, so i.e. people in the Premier League, playing well this season and getting through. Now, there is a <laughs> problem with that. <laughs> Not wanting to go back to Manchester United, but um, we, we need them to do well in Europe in order for this to, to sort of realise our options. And like, you know, everyone's sort of saying, well, yeah, historically, we would have done that in five of the last eight seasons. Yeah, true. But Manchester United um, are... There, Arsenal haven't been in the Champions League for a long time. This is not established Champions League teams that regularly get to final. Manchester United, Arsenal, and Newcastle hardly have played that much Champions League football in recent years, and certainly not much deep into the tournament. So the the, the idea of the algorithm putting the the Premier League high up enough to get a fifth place is not certain. It would also need sort of good performances in the Europa League and in the Conference League as well, which you may well end up getting. But I don't think it's a dead certain. People obviously have sort of almost sort of taken this as a, as a sort of, you know, oh, yeah, we'll get five places. I'm not necessarily... We may do. That may well happen. But it's, I, it's not guaranteed, Scott. So I think you've still got to aim for the top four if you're Aston Villa. No, of course you have to, <laughs> Sam. And you're, and you're right to say that. I mean, I personally do think we'll be at the end of the season saying, especially with it, with it sort of the Europa League... I think Liverpool will go really far and the conference, I think Villa will win it, it, it in the whole competition. But absolutely, if they can combine that, and we know that Emery loves his European competitions, um, that is the really what they're hoping for in terms of Newcastle struggling to adapt with Premier League and Champions League, Brighton struggling to adapt with Premier League and Europa League, United, well, they're getting knocked out, but they'll probably be in the Europa League, probably, not guarantee there. And and West Ham also are in the um, in the Europa League. That's that's the top nine as it stands. So everyone's kind of trying to combine their squads with European competition. So this is a wonderful opportunity. And Villa, Emery has got something going, hasn't he? Especially at Villa Park, if they can avoid defeats away from home and then carry on winning at home, which obviously is not going to carry on forever. But he's got he's got them playing in a really good way. And again, a bit like Newcastle, in the way that the crowd are completely behind their team. This is exactly what's happening with Villa now as well. 14 goals in their last four Premier League games. How important is the recruitment of Monchi as a sporting director? He works in tandem with the manager. And I suppose it's a model for everybody else, a little bit like how Dan Ashworth works with his managers. They're they're all aligned, Crook. Yeah, same at Brighton. If you remember, Roberto De Zerbi brought in his own um, recruitment guru when he took the job and then quickly realised that he didn't need him because the structure he had above him was so exceptional and he works very close with David Weir and with Paul Barber the chief executive so to go back to what you're saying that's how it should be in modern football it shouldn't be um, that a sporting director is, is signing players that the manager doesn't want and it shouldn't be that a manager is, is having carte blanche to, to lead his own recruitment either you need to find a happy medium I think Aston Villa 
have done that. And the reason I made that back bet with Jim White is because I knew that they would invest heavily in the summer. They may well go again in January if they are genuine Champions League contenders um, come the time the window reopens. And I think they're really invested in this manager. And you look at some of the signings, Diaby I picked out as a potential for signing the season. I think the best is probably still to come from him, but he's adapted very well into the Premier League. I know you're not a fan of Pau Torres, but I think he will improve as he gets used to the, the, the pace of the game. As you mentioned from Havertz, it's not easy for players coming in from foreign shores. So I think Villa are in a really good place at this moment in time. Not sure Forrest are, by the way, because they did end up signing 15 players over the course of the summer in the end. And have they really kicked on from last season? Uh, first of all, Pau Torres, it's not that I'm not a fan. I just don't think he's suited to playing in, in, in that system. And he is finding it difficult at this moment in time. He may well develop into a very good player. He's a brilliant technical footballer. But the rigours of the Premier League, very difficult. We shall see whether plus, he adapts. Plus, Sam, but the crookie said the reason I got that bet, he got bullied into that bet by Jim yeah. White. He didn't realise that was coming and suddenly he didn't realise what, he, what he'd got himself into. But to be fair, Emery's that good and he's got things going. It's going to be a good little battle. I personally feel the top four is will be what it is right now. But the, I, And I also personally believe, and you're right to say it, it might not happen, but the team that finishes fifth will get that Champions League place. So that's the one that I think everyone for Villa and downwards are going for. Made a good point about um, Nottingham Forest because since their win away at Chelsea, they've been six games without a victory now. Um, they might be in danger here of just getting sucked a little bit deeper into relegation. I think they'll be okay eventually. I did worry about them actually prior to the start of the season because Steve Cooper didn't get kind of quality that he he wanted into the club. Then he took, went on a splurge right at the end of the window. They got seven players on deadline day. And they've got a lot of players now for him to manage. And, and they've had some injuries as well, some key injuries to some of those players that they've brought in. Callum Hudson and Doyce picked up another injury. And, it, you know, he was out for a little while. Um, so it will be interesting to see whether he can fashion a team that can, can, can move Nottingham Forest forward. Because as Crook said, I suppose the job really, the first job is to stay in the league again. And then the second job is to try and move forward. I don't think you should come under too much criticism, even if they finish just fourth from bottom this year. But I do think that they have to be a little bit careful, especially if Luton find their range and start nicking the odd result here and there because they've they sort of got to grips with, with the pace of the league. Yeah, I, 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 you're right. I actually do think, though, they're much better equipped this season than last and I think everyone's learned a little bit more. Uh, Steve Cooper certainly has. The owner did well to stick by him and, and, and even give him a new contract. And I actually feel the games that I've seen them in anyway, certainly away from home, where they were shocking last season, I think they've been in the games. So, you know, We were there, Arsenal, first game of the season, obviously Old Trafford as well. There's been a couple of others. But it is slightly worrying when you get, you know, almost without realising, you go from game to game, I oh, will be okay, we'll be okay. Actually, before you know it, you're the wrong side of Christmas and you're really not OK. So they don't want to get themselves in a relegation fight like they did last season. I think they'll finish better than fourth and bottom. Um, but yeah, they don't want to be slipping down. So that's why any game at home, they need to be looking for all three points. But it won't be easy. OK, let's move on to uh, Luton against Liverpool. Crook's going to this on Sunday afternoon. He cannot wait for it. He loves Kenilworth Road. Um, are Liverpool flying under the radar as title contenders? Well, not really, because I suppose we've been talking about them as possible title contenders since um, you know the first few weeks of the season, haven't we, Crook? 
Yeah, we have. And um, I think the, f- the fact they're not in the Champions League, I agree with Scott, they probably will go quite deep into the Europa League, but they don't have to play their, their best 11 week in, week out to do that, certainly in the early rounds of the competition. So I think it will help them not having that Champions League pressure. They're scoring goals from all over. Brilliant goal from Darwin Nunez in midweek. We'll, we'll get Scott waxing lyrical about him in a minute, but he's missed a couple of sitters as well this season. Let's, let's not forget that. But yeah, I, th- I think if you're asking me right now, um, because I think Arteta's created some of his own issues with the Havertz situation, with the Raya situation. Maybe we're trying to change the playing style. Having tipped Arsenal to be City's closest challengers at the start of the season, I'm now starting to lean towards Liverpool might actually be the biggest threat to City. So you change your mind again? Well, you're allowed to do that yeah. as, as a season evolves. You 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 tipped up Manchester United you, to win the Premier League title. So let's not start talking about pre-season predictions. I mean, what, what a ludicrous shout that was. <laughs> I think you were all on board at that time, Crook. Scott, as the president of the um, Darwin Nunez fan club, how impressed were you with the goal that he scored in midweek? It was, as Crook has already mentioned, an absolute stunner. I, I thought you were the president. Oh, am I the president? Okay, I'll take that. Well, uh, listen, take that. I, 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 you can be the president. I'll be your vice president or your spokesman. I don't okay. know. No, well, I, I think we both see quality there, don't we? And it pretty much sums him up the goal in the first place, you know, a bit of a bad touch, which shows a little bit of inconsistency and in the fact that he's not, you know, top, top, top on it in the way that, say, a Harland, uh, Harland is or even a Sergio Aguero was. But then he's capable of brilliance. And, you know, actually, I, I don't see him being brilliant for whipping balls in from 25 yards over and under the goalkeeper. I see him as that absolute threat that every defender hates to play against in the way that we saw against Newcastle. That's the Darwin Nunez I saw for Benfica. And that's the Darwin Nunez I think if Jurgen Klopp is able to get the best out of um, out of him, you can see more on a regular basis. And I, I want to see more of him playing for Liverpool as a central striker who's able to come in off the left when he wants to in the way that Thierry Henry did. And I'm telling you now, I think he just needs games. Simple as that. Just needs games. We'll get one on Sunday. Luton are the opponents down at Kenilworth Road. Looking forward to that. Um, Crook, what are you do for the rest of the day? Uh, what a day I've got. I've got a dental appointment and I hate the dentist. And then I've got the uh, yeah the old snip later on. So this is, this is a brilliant Thursday, isn't it? Uh, well, there will be fireworks on Saturday. There's no doubt about that. Fulham against Manchester United live uh, from Craven Cottage, 12.30. We go round the grounds uh, between uh, 2.30 and 5.30. And then the Sunday session with Hugh Wozencroft this week uh, going uh, round the grounds in the Premier League, the EFL, the FA Cup, the Scottish League Cup and the WSL. And it will include Forest against Aston Villa and Luton against Liverpool uh, as well. Uh, Monday night football is Tottenham against Chelsea. I'll be there for that. Looking forward to it. And we'll be back on Monday morning with a podcast previewing that and the rest of the week's action and looking back on another fabulous Premier League weekend. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.